I have to say something. What they are doing is wrong. I just have to say something. If I don't speak up, no one will say something. Oh, they're not going to listen to me, but I know I still have to say something. I can hear it now. Oh, here comes Mr. Perfect again, sharing with us how we're supposed to be like him. Or I know how they're going to say, I thought you weren't supposed to judge as a Christian. Why are you being so judgmental? And I can hear my family and friends now. Just let them decide on their own. I can hear my friends now. To each their own. Let them choose what's best for them. But I know it's wrong. I have to say something. But, oh, I don't want to say something. But, oh, I want to say something. I should say something. They don't want me to say anything. Have you ever had this wrestling match in your own mind and heart? If you're anything like me, you've had that wrestling match and you have that wrestling match very often. Because we're constantly wrestling with, should I say something when I know something is wrong? Not only is this wrestling match happening internally, but something externally is causing the internal wrestling match to cause even more stress. Because externally, what's happening in the world around us is the perception that Christianity is judgmental. George Barna recently did a study in 2012 and trying to understand what's going on with maybe those under the age 35 and then how also it's influencing those between 35 and 55. And came back and George Barna said they found three things that are at the top of everyone's mind when you say the word Christian. 87% of the people had these three things top of their mind. Anti-homosexual, hypocritical, judgmental. That when you come and introduce yourself to someone under the age 35, 87% of those people, the moment you say Christian, their perception of you is you're judgmental. The number only drops to 73% when you go up to age 55. So someone under the age 55 knows you and they know you're a Christian, it's highly likely their perception of you is that you're judgmental. That's the perception of the world regarding Christianity, that Christians are judgmental. If you're over 55 this morning, I, I don't know. Think. What, I don't know what you think. think. Right or wrong. But the vast majority of society, when you say Christian, almost synonymous with the word Christian, is judgmental. Well, what are we supposed to think about that? Are we supposed to say, man, we've got to fix that. We've got to reshape ourselves. We've got to do something different so they don't have that perception. Or should they have that perception of Christianity? And then, how do we handle this internal wrestling match that we're having? How can it be that this internal wrestling match can no longer cause me stress and dilemma, but I can experience freedom? Our goal this morning is to get some guidance about how, how can we talk about this issue of judging others? How can we get some clarity in our own minds so that we can stand and talk with confidence, so that we can live with confidence 
no matter what the perceptions are. We start this morning in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he takes a few moments in Matthew chapter 7 to talk about this issue. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The driving thought pattern in our society and in our very own church is to each their own. That is the driving thought pattern in the church and society. We've got this philosophy that says each person decides for themselves what is best for themselves. And when we have that driving philosophy to each their own, that causes the internal wrestling match to heat up. Because if we believe that each should decide on their own, why should I say something? And if the overwhelming philosophy of society is to each their own, who are we to say something to society about what's right or wrong? Jesus kind of sounds here like he's saying to each their own. I mean, he says, judge not, that you be not judged. Does Jesus have the same philosophy? Is this Jesus' thought pattern too? Hey, to each their own. Well, we have to remember this morning that this is in the context of another portion of the sermon. This is three or four sentences. This is a minute of what Jesus was giving and teaching his followers. Just before he said this, he also said, if you're angry, that's considered murder. He also said just before this, you shall not divorce with the exception of adultery. He also said before this, Go into the closet when you pray so that others do not see what you are doing. Just before this, he gave some pretty high standards of saying, do this, don't do this. And then just after this, he comes back and says, hey, there's a road that you're supposed to be traveling on. That road is very narrow. You read the whole sermon, Jesus does not sound like to each their own. It sounds like, no, no, to each my way. So what do we do with these words then where Jesus says, judge not? First, we have to understand what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, don't distinguish between right and wrong. Jesus is saying, hey, never say what's right and what's wrong. Jesus is not saying, don't call sin, sin. He's simply saying, hey, hey, hey examine your own heart first. Jesus is getting right to the heart of the matter here and saying this, you cannot have a standard for others and not hold yourself to the same standard. You cannot say something to someone else when they're falling, failing a standard, and you are failing that standard as well and not doing anything about it. What Jesus is speaking against here is not distinguishing between right and wrong. Jesus is speaking against religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees or the Sadducees who would have been considered the priests or the pastors or the church council members or the church leaders. He's speaking to those people saying, hey, you're standing out on the street corner saying, do this, do that, don't do that. And then guess what? You're doing all of that stuff in secret. That's a problem. Jesus is speaking against religious hypocrisy. What he's saying to us this morning is, be consistent 
with self and others. Consistent with self and others. Jesus wants us to pursue the same standard for ourselves that we proclaim for others. Jesus wants us to encourage others to pursue the same standard that you and I set or we see revealed in Scripture for ourselves. Be consistent with self and others. This morning when we're thinking about, should I judge, should I not judge, should I say something, not say something, the first thing that should come to our minds is this. Am I being consistent with myself? Am I going to say something to someone when I first haven't taken care of it in my own heart, in my own life? The end goal of what Jesus is saying here is not to not say anything because notice what the end goal is in Matthew 7. Right at the end he says, "Take first take the log out of your own eye. When you say first, what does that imply? There's a second. How many times has somebody come up to you and said, hey, I'd like to introduce you to my first child? And then it was done after that. No, no, first means there's more to come. So when Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, that means that what? That's just one step of many. That's not the end goal. That's not the only step. The first step is self-examination and confession. The second step then is this, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The end goal is not to say nothing. The end goal is to be helpful to our brothers and sisters, our neighbors. The end goal is to be healthy people that can what? Help others become healthy. The end goal is to say something, but not for the sake of saying something. The end goal is to say something to pursue health together. Jesus wants us to be consistent with self and others. So this kind of gives us a foundation to work from. It starts by examining our own hearts and our own minds. Now we're going to turn to Romans chapter 14. And Romans 14 is going to kind of give for us the underlying principle that girds the whole thing. Romans 14, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let's stop right there. If you have a pen with you this morning... Just underline that sentence in your Bible this morning. The weak person eats only vegetables. I'm going to memorize that and put that on our table. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, 
every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Basically, what we have going on here is we're reading this letter that's written to some religious people that are struggling with a couple of issues. They're struggling with some issues that they've had as part of their lives for a really long time. For a really long time, they've celebrated certain days throughout the year as festival. And they've also held certain days during the week as as more holy and required certain things on those days. They've also had certain dietary requirements that have been part of their religious life. So they've had these things part of their whole life as they've gone to the temple. Well, now what's happening, Christianity is exploding. The name of Jesus is starting to go out to all these different people groups, people that didn't grow up in a Jewish tradition, people that didn't grow up in any religious tradition necessarily. And those people now are starting to become a church. And so there's some churches that are starting, and these churches aren't having these festivals. Or these churches are allowing their members to eat meat or not eat vegetable or to eat vegetable. It's almost like nowadays... These churches starting, and the churches are starting, and they're not putting an organ in the building. <gasps> oh, no. It's a, something that you've known your whole life. It, it's part of what you know. It's part of your experience. It's got to be right. It's got to be part of the way. You have had this happen in your own life, right? Something that's been part of you and your experience has been taken away. What does it cause? A little turmoil, Right? It gets you a little bit worked up because it's been part of who you are. It's formed you. It's shaped you. It's the exact same thing going on for these individuals. They've been shaped by these festival days. They've been shaped by this dietary stuff. And not that it's bad at all. It was required. It was encouraged. But now that Jesus has come, everything's changed because Jesus has fulfilled all of that stuff. Jesus is now the complete fulfillment of all of the Old Testament laws and the Old Testament sacrifices. But some people are struggling with it. So Paul writes to him and says, hey, if you want to continue to practice the festivals, if you want to follow those dietary guidelines, you can. If it's causing you to struggle in your faith by us doing this, well, then we need to respect that. But also, also, if you think you're going to require that of everyone, you're wrong. If you think you're going to say to everyone, hey, we celebrate these festivals, you have to too, or you're wrong, well, you're wrong. Paul is saying those things are preferences. Those things are options now through Christ. And he basically summarizes the argument, and we're going to focus in here on Romans 14, verses kind of 6 through 9, where he sums in, he basically comes to this point. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying this, you are not your own. The truth that we have to understand, the truth that would change all of our lives this morning and give us a whole new perspective and confidence is this, if we walked out of here saying, I am not my own. I am not my own exactly what God's Word is saying here. He's saying, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. Christ is your Lord. You are not the Lord of yourself. You don't submit to your own desires and your own wants. You submit to your Lord's desires and wants. 
It's not to each their own. No, it's to each the Lord's. I am not my own. This changes everything. Say it with me. I am not my own. When we have this truth grilled into us and burned in our hearts and our minds, it changes the whole way we think of religion and faith. Because now it's what? I submit everything to Jesus. I don't have this over here that's part of my secular life and this over here that's part of my church life. No, everything I have is God's. Paul's saying here, no, you're not your own. You belong to the Lord. So God's word is saying to us, hey, you need to be consistent with yourself and others. But it starts here with this overarching truth. You are not your own. You belong to the Lord. And then when we understand that, the next step we need to take is follow the pattern that Paul is laying out for us here when he says, you need to discern between preferences and principles. Discern between preferences and principles. Preferences being things that if you do it one way or the other way, it's not sin. Principle being if I do it a certain way, if I disobey, it's sin. Paul is saying here, hey, there are a lot of things that are preferences. There are a lot of things that, you know what, there's not necessarily a right way or a wrong way to do it. You just need to step out and do it how you are convicted. We've got a lot of people that are running around in our society today that are burdened down with expectations. Some of you this morning, you're burdened down under a set of expectations. The sad thing is, the expectations that are burdening you are not the expectations of God's Word. They're the expectations of your co-workers, your neighbors, Oprah, and etc. We do not live under the expectations of them. What should be burdening us is the expectation of God's Word. We have to be really careful that we as followers of Jesus don't fall into the same trap of taking expectations regarding preference things and burden people with them. We've all done it, and we've all been part of it. For example, how many times has someone come up to you maybe and said, oh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? No, we're doing, you know, going to our families, having our turkey, and the person says, ah, well, we're having this kind of chili thing that we have every year. <gasps> You're having chili on Thanksgiving? Right? How dare you have chili on Thanksgiving? This is expectation that what? You have turkey on Thanksgiving. Why? Everyone has turkey on Thanksgiving. It's the way we've always done it. See what happens? Can you imagine being the person on the other side, though? Well, we've always done chili. What's the big deal? That's a small example. We've all been part of that kind of conversation all the time. Can you believe that so-and-so shops over there at that store? Oh, I can't believe they would support that company. Oh, it's so dirty. We've all been part of that conversation, right? Does it matter where we shop? I can tell you this. The corporate headquarters for Store X and Store Y are equally evil. We've all been part of those conversations where we've taken something that's a preference for ourselves and we've elevated it to an expectation for everyone. And then what happens when a person doesn't live to that expectation, what happens? We kind of look a little lesser on them. 
I would contend that the reason that so many people have a perception of Christianity as being judgmental is it's because of this preference issue. There's not a lot of Christians running around in society yelling about the law of God. There's not many at all. There's a lot of Christians running around saying, you've got to dress a certain way on Sunday morning. Church has to be done exactly this way. Only two kids, because you can afford it. You've got to dress like this. Can't drink here, drink there. Take these preference things, we raise them to expectations. People don't meet those expectations, what happens? We demean them. Folks, we've got to loosen up a little bit. Loosen up in the area of preferences. A lot of this stuff, and I would contend that 90% of life is preference. Who cares what kind of car you drive? Who cares if it's an E85 or a Prius or a gas guzzler? At the end of the day, at the judgment seat, you're not going to be given account whether you drove a Prius or a gas guzzler in Sioux Falls. We've got to lower, loosen the chains here a little bit and recognize that different isn't always bad. Different is what? Different. Loosen the chains on preference, but then what? Stand firm on principle. Do you know what your principles are this morning? Do you know what your core convictions are? The things that you would be unwilling to negotiate on. That you'd say, absolutely not. I'm not going to, there's no discussion on this topic. Do you know what the majority of fights in churches are over? Preference. When's the last time you heard a church fight over, I don't know if Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. Let's vote on that. Here's what we fight on in church. Hey, do you think we should have upfront parking for the uh, charter members or for the guests? Do you, do you think we should have uh, plastic, uh, paper, or, or real dishes? Do you think we should have homemade baked goods or store-bought uh, desserts? I'm not exaggerating, folks. This is what goes on all of the time in churches all over the place. People fight about this stuff. We fight about preference while ignoring principle. And guess what happens while we're ignoring principle? The principles start to lessen because the world is out there attacking principle while we're over here fighting about preference. Do you know what your core convictions are? Know God's Word, that you have so much confidence that you're able to stand on your convictions. And then you're also able to what? Stand over here with confidence and preference and go, hey, if it goes this way, that's okay. I can live with that. But we've got to get firm on our principle and our convictions. This morning, there's too many of us, myself included, running around, looking down on people because of choices they make regarding worldly things, rather than seeing them as just making different decisions that I would prefer than I would make, and coming alongside them and loving them and caring for them. In order for us to be faithful followers of Christ, it begins by being consistent with self and others. It begins by understanding and knowing that I am not my own. It also it helps and it is a must that we're able to discern between preference and principle. Whose expectations 
am I living under? Just for yourself this morning, whose expectations are you living under today? Do you believe your home has to be a certain way? Do you believe you have to have a certain type of lifestyle? Do you believe you have to have a certain set of fashion or clothing? If those are the type of expectations that are burdening you this morning, there's a different way. There's a different pathway, a pathway that brings freedom, a pathway where you live under the expectations of God rather than living under the expectations of your neighbor or your coworker. And guess what? The expectations of your neighbor and your coworker are constantly changing. How many of you this morning, if somebody walked in in Zubas this morning, how many of you have been able to keep a straight face? We got one, because he owns a pair of Zubas thing. Now, wreck, 20 years ago, what was happening? They were selling these things on commercials. They were a big deal. You were buying your team's colors. You are buying ones with certain logos or, or patterns on them. Well, guess what? You do not see a lot of Zubas around town today. And hey, you're free to wear Zubas here next Sunday. I don't mean to make that innuendo at all. But it proves the point of what? The expectations change and change rapidly. Rapidly. What's in today is out tomorrow, almost just like this. We tore up carpet at our house, found out hardwood floors underneath. Ah, great, they're in today. 20 years from now when we're not living there, guess what's going to happen? Somebody's putting carpet back on top of the hardwood. The worldly expectations constantly change, and if you try and match the worldly expectations, you're setting yourself up for one thing, failure, guilt, anxiety. Not one thing, I guess, multiple things. As followers of Jesus Christ, we live under the expectations of one, and we've got great freedom in the area of preferences. This morning, I would encourage us to consider three things as we think about being followers of Jesus Christ, as we think about being consistent with ourselves, as we think about not saying to each their own, but recognizing we live under the lordship of Jesus, as we discern between preference and principle. There's three practical applications for us this morning. The first is this. We need to be people who continually self-examine and self-acknowledge what's going on in our lives. If we are not our own, guess what? There's things that need to be confessed. We need to acknowledge when we're not matching the standards of our Lord. We should be quick to make confession and continually examining ourselves and asking, am I bringing my Lord honor in this area? The problem with the majority of us Christians is we are quick to confess a generality of sin rather than specific failures. I would contend this is what has led us to a place where people believe a church is judgmental and a church is not genuine community. Because here's what happens at church. Everybody comes together. Everybody says, I've sinned. I need forgiveness. You look great. You sound great. You go home. Some people in there were going, geez, I think everybody must have it together. What people need to hear They need to hear specific areas of brokenness. And what you need to do to be healed is to confess specific areas 
of brokenness. Do you think God teaches the confession of sin in Scripture so that he gets to sit on his throne and go, ah, I love to hear that list. Yes, music to my ears. God doesn't need a confession of our sin to make him feel good or for him to be God. God asks us to confess our sins, as it says in the book of James, so that we might be healed. The purpose of bringing something out in the open is not to celebrate it, but to get healing for all parties involved. See, what's happening in the church world is this. You got all of these young people under the age of 35 that have had a little experience in church, but the churches that they've experienced, they're going, these people show up, they look great, they drive nice cars. There's nothing wrong with their lives. They just think the church is just fake. So what do they do? They just go and start their own church then. That's why you have churches now that have either all young people or all old people because none of the young people want to be with the old people because the young people look at the old people and go, they're perfect, there's nothing wrong with them, or at least they don't say it. We want to be in some place where at least you're acknowledging what's going on and trying to work towards something better. What do we need? We need open confession. Open confession creates authentic community. You see what happens when one person's willing to stand up and say, I struggle with this? It opens the door for seven to ten other people to stand up and say, I struggle with this. It's like a game of dominoes. When the first domino goes, what happens? All the other dominoes go with it. Have you ever been in class and the teacher said, hey, if you have a question, everybody else is thinking the same question? Here's what's happening in the church. In the church, if you have a struggle, guess what? Everyone else has a struggle as well. Just waiting for someone to admit the struggle. We need to create a culture of openness. That means that you need to be willing to be bold and step out and say, hey, you know what? I've struggled with managing my finances. My wife and I are just living paycheck to paycheck. We're trying to make a go of it. You need to be willing to say that confession in a room with people so that someone else hears it and they're like, wow, we're having the same struggle. I need to confess that as well, that we haven't been faithful in the area of tithing because we haven't been willing to trust. You've got to be willing to step out and say it and allow someone else to say it. The goal is not to get a group together and go, oh, this is great. We all struggle with the same thing. It's to put the issue on the table so you can talk about it and work through it together. It also changes the conversation dramatically. Think of how the conversation changes when you go to someone and you say, you know what, I've been struggling with a temptation towards alcohol for the last 15 years. And it causes this to go on in my life. That's a massively different conversation than coming and saying, hey, you need to stop drinking right now. It's a different conversation. This conversation opens up what? It opens up the person because it lowers the barriers. It, the other person is now thinking, someone understands. We can talk together how we can fight this together. If we want to change the perception of Christianity in our own circles, and I'm not talking about changing the perception in America as a whole or the world as a whole. We have no control over that. Change the perception in our own circles of influence, in our own families and friends, co-workers, because they view Christianity a certain way. You want to change that perception? It begins by open acknowledgement and confession. 
of what you've struggled with and how that struggle has harmed you, how that struggle has brought pain. And it begins here in the church. If we can't acknowledge it here in the church, how are we going to acknowledge it out there? Constant self-examination and open confession. It creates authentic community. And it's a result of being faithful to Jesus' teachings. The second thing that we need to do, and this is just very practical, understand that family is different. If you've wrestled with this conversation in your mind, should I say something, should I not say something? And a lot of times it's about a family member, a son, a daughter, brother, sister, mom, dad, grandparent. You want to say something because you know what's going on in their life is not right. Okay, we just need to recognize from the outset that when we're dealing with family, it's different. That doesn't mean we don't say anything. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. It just means we need to handle it differently. Because guess what? Your family knows all of your dirty laundry already. It completely changes the conversation. So you've got to start the conversation differently. And you've got to be a whole lot more persistent in the conversation. And then also at the exact same time, you have to be persistent in not changing your relationship with them as you're having the conversation. So for example, if you're going to talk to a family member about something that's going on in their life, when you talk to them about that issue, it's probably not going to go over well. When you say to them, hey, you know, I'm really concerned about this. It's, it's going to cause a little bit of a rift. Guess what? You have to still invite them to Thanksgiving dinner. You can't confront them and at the same time just kind of pull back in the other relationship areas because what? You're like, it's going to be awkward at Thanksgiving, so I'm just going to take them off the email list. That's what happens a lot. Maybe you have supper with them every week sometime, and you're like, man, I'm just not going to call them this week to have supper. It's so important that you're persistent in the relationship as you're persistent in the conversation about the tough things. Most people have never experienced this. Most people have only experienced the following. Shape up or ship out. They've never experienced shape up, and I'll walk right alongside with you as you try and shape up. Be persistent in the relationship as you're also persistent in the conversation. Family is a different duck. So you've got to deal with it a little bit differently. Persistent in the conversation, persistent relationship. The next thing you need to do when you're with family is this. You need to really dig down deep into how the issue is affecting you personally or how you see the effects of the issue affecting as a whole. You can't simply say, yeah, I struggled with that once, and so I wanted to talk to you about it. You need to say the following. You know, I've struggled with this anxiety issue as well, and here's what it's done to me. It's really caused me to struggle in my relationship with so-and-so. It's really caused me to hurt my interactions at work. It caused me to lose sleep, and as I've lost sleep, it's hurt my overall health and well-being. You need to be willing to talk about the consequences of it more with your family because they know the issue. They know that you struggle with X or Y. But do they know the real dilemmas that are going on in your own mind, in your own heart? Be persistent in relationship and conversation. Talk about what the consequences, the dilemmas that it's causing. If we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we're consistent, 
which leads to constant self-examination and open confession. We recognize that that's different with our families. The final thing that we need to consider is this. What's my motive? What's my motive in going to talk to someone about something going on in their life? Am I simply going to someone and saying, hey, this is wrong? Am I simply doing that so that, hey, at least I'm clear. I've washed my hands of this situation. I've made it known. That's a lot of our mentality, myself included sometimes. Sometimes it's a lot easier for me just to go and say, whew, at least I said something. I've been faithful to God. Okay, now I can get back to the real world. Our motivation is not to say something so that we're right and we keep a good standing with God. Our good standing with God is not dependent upon us standing up and speaking the right thing to someone who's sinning. Our motivation, Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 7, this is absolutely critical. The motivation for taking the log out of your own eye, read this this next week and memorize it. The motivation for taking the log out of your own eye isn't so that you can be right, it's so that what? You can see clearly the speck in your brother's eye. God's goal is not to create a bunch of healthy Christians so Christians can be healthy. God's goal is to create healthy Christians so healthy Christians can go help others become healthy. What's your motivation in wanting to talk to your family member, your friend, or your coworker about the behavior or about the belief? Is your goal so they know that, well, at least they're right? Or do you want to be helpful? Is your goal their health and their well-being? Motives matter. Motives matter because they affect how we then handle ourselves as the conversation continues. It's pretty clear that the perception of the world is that followers of Jesus Christ are judgmental. It's pretty clear that the world says Christians are a bunch of people who have a higher standard than others and demean people who don't live up to them. It's pretty clear that the way of the world is to each their own. But what's clear from Jesus is that his followers should be people who are quick to confess and acknowledge their own shortcomings so that they can go out and bless and assist others. It's clear from Jesus Christ that we are not to each their own, but we are the Lord's. We belong to Him. This morning, we've got a simple decision to make. Do we let the perceptions of the world drive who we become? Or do we let God's Word shape us? So many of us have fallen into the trap of allowing the perceptions of the world to shape who we become rather than allowing God's word to form us and mold us into his people. This morning, if you allow the perceptions of the world to shape and form you, you're going to be squished by worldly expectations. Let me finish with this. It's very recent. It fits right in. Starbucks. Everybody's maybe heard of the Starbucks controversy lately, right? Starbucks took Merry Christmas off the cup, or I don't know if Merry Christmas was on the cup, 
or whatever, but oh boy, everybody's excited now that there's no longer Merry Christmas on Starbucks cup. Well, guess what? This started by some Christians saying, oh, Starbucks, you're wrong for not putting Merry Christmas on your cup. Who cares what's on Starbucks cup? Well, then what happened? It opened the door for the cool Christians to step in. Because then the cool Christians could step in and say this, oh, shame on you other Christians now for saying something about Merry Christmas on the Starbucks cup. The same cool Christians who what? Are always saying we shouldn't be so judgmental. Now who are the cool Christians judging? The uncool Christians. What have we done? We've created a cycle of what? Judging others. It started by Christians what? Making a statement about something that's a complete preference, whether a company puts Merry Christmas on a coffee cup. It led to other Christians then putting down other Christians for speaking about that. Christianity looks really good right now. This is what's happening in our world all the time. Pick your issue. You know what it looks like for a follower of Jesus Christ? It looks like for a follower of Jesus Christ to say, I'm firm on these principles of God's Word. But guess what? There's going to be some things we're different on, and that doesn't change my opinion of you at all. It doesn't change the way I view you. It doesn't change the value that I see in you at all. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to not pick fights over the preference, but it's to stand on principle and bring glory to God in the way we handle ourselves with the issues of preference. This morning, all of us would do well to say, I don't want the perceptions of the world to shape and form me, but I want the person of Jesus Christ to shape and form me into who I am becoming. Let us go forth and be the people who give value to all people, no matter what they wear or where they live. And let us be the people that stand for the principles of God and go and talk to others about those principles in a way of humility and compassion. Let us be the people Jesus was talking about when he said, go and take the speck out of their eye so they can see. Let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge this morning that oftentimes we have elevated our preferences, we've elevated our desires to standards for others to keep. And God, this morning I ask that you would make us aware of those areas. And I pray also this morning, O oh Lord, that you would loosen our passions in those areas. And this morning, God, I ask that you would burden us, convict our hearts and our minds around your principles, around your law. God, I pray that you'd burn your law into our hearts and our minds and we would stand firm. This morning, I also ask God that you would now shape and form us. No matter what the perception of the world is, God, I ask that you would form us into your people. Mold us to be your people that can help others. God, thank you for your patience and your kindness this morning. Enable us, empower us to go forth and extend it to others. In Jesus' name. Amen.